Welcome to the New City Church Podcast. New City is a church in Bath, Maine that exists to make disciples, develop leaders, and plant churches that multiply. This week, Pastor John Andre is preaching through Daniel chapter 2, verses 1 through 18, and the sermon title is Channels of Water in God's Hands. We hope you are blessed by the message today. Let's pray, church. Heavenly Father, God, we come before you. And God, I plead with you for your spirit to be with us this morning. Oh, Lord, God, we are so small and you are so mighty. And we are just desperate for your presence. Oh, Lord, I pray that we would not come in here by routine or by force of habit. But, Lord God, that we would remember that as we gather, we are doing what you have commanded your people to do. As we lift high your name, as we sing to you, as we have done and will do. God, we want your word to be opened up to us. We don't want the wisdom of man. We don't want the teachings and the lies and the doctrines of the world. We want your word to wash over us. And so, Lord God, would you make that so this morning? Teach us by your word, O Lord. Open the scriptures. By your Holy Spirit, would you impart these things to our hearts? Your word is wonderful, O Lord. It's majestic. We are so grateful for your word, and we have this wonderful, precious time this morning to hear from you together as your word is opened. Father, teach us. Teach us these things by your Holy Spirit, and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Praise the Lord. Um, So as we just read, we're in the second chapter of Daniel. We'll get right to it. Um, I'm excited to be in this book with you guys, though, as we are slowly getting deeper and deeper into the waters of Daniel, been able to start off kind of um, with nothing fantastical. It's a book of dreams, visions, and prophecies, but right now it's been a lot of just daily application that applies to our lives today, but hold on tight because as we get further into it, we'll be unraveling with some mysteries of God, the prophecies of God, and some, some really wonderful things that I'm excited for our church to be in. But we're easing in deeper and deeper. And so some important themes that run through the book of Daniel. These aren't all of them, but a few of the themes that run through the book of Daniel are going to begin to blossom and begin to unfold in this particular section of Scripture that we're in. And so we'll just look at a few of the themes that are going to arise in this section of Scripture that, again, we'll really be able to reference, we'll really be able to acknowledge as reoccurring throughout the book of Daniel over and over and over again. And so some of these themes, what are they? We have dreams, visions, and prophecy. And so, again, I just want to have you guys take note of the fact that you're in the shallow end right now, but pretty soon, in a month from now, two months from now, three months from now, when we get to Daniel 11, you'll be like, man, we're in deep. But right now, we're just easing in. God's easing us in. But dreams, visions, and prophecy is going to be a big theme throughout the book of Daniel. Wonderful, amazing way that God speaks through prophetic dreams and interpretations of these dreams. We'll begin to see this begin to unfold this morning. Also, as always, not only just in the book of Daniel, but all throughout Scripture, we're going to be really seeing God's sovereignty here. God's sovereignty. God is always in control. There is nothing outside of the scope of his control. He is first. He is last. Everything is from him, through him, and to him. He does all things no matter what the situation. God is always in control, always on the throne, no matter how chaotic life seems, no matter how chaotic the governments are. God is always, always, always in control. 
So that's another theme that we're going to see referenced today, but also again through the book of Daniel. Another one is evil kings, wicked kings. And we might be like, amen, I can kind of resonate with that. This is applying to my life. We live in a time and a day and an age where people are watchful. They're saying grand scale things are happening on the global scale around the world. Kings and wicked rulers and all of these things, I can say amen to what Daniel's going through. We're going to see evil kings. But I will say that there are probably more evil kings that we're going to read about in the book of Daniel than any of us have probably experienced. There's certainly people in other parts of the, the world who maybe can resonate a little bit more than we, but these are violent monarchs who do as they please. Violent monarchs who do as they please, and these are the people that Daniel and his companions are underneath the authority of, all the while being under the the sovereign authority of God, of course. Another theme is faith in God. Faith in God. We are a people that despite life circumstances, we have faith in God. A lot of people say they have faith But you ask them in what, and they're not really necessarily sure. Faith in possibly even just faith itself. But we are a people that have faith in God Almighty and who He is, not in our own giftings, not in our own abilities, but we have faith in the Almighty God who is sovereign over all creation. And this is, we're going to see this in Daniel. Again, begin to unfold in the book of Daniel. Great faith. And I'll just ask you, I'll ask you a little bit later, but where do you put your faith? Where are you putting your faith daily? Even this morning, where are you putting your faith? A fifth theme, and uh, this one, I thought about titling the sermon, Discernment in Exile, but I ended up switching it. But this is a big theme that also runs through the book of Daniel. What are we as Christians supposed to, how are we supposed to interact with these wicked ruling authorities that are over us? How are we as Christians supposed to engage the culture, but also to do so in tact, wisdom, graciousness, and great discernment. Discernment while we are in exile here on this earth, awaiting our future restoration when Jesus Christ comes and destroys all of the kingdoms of the world and we're in his heavenly home, no longer in exile. But while we are in exile, we need great, great discernment and boldness. So we're going to see this theme. And just lastly, quickly, prayer. That God hears prayer. Can you say amen to this church? God hears prayer. He hears our prayers, and this is something that we can have confidence in, and we're going to see this in the book of Daniel, even this morning, that when we pray, it's not just into the air, the emptiness, but God is a God who hears our prayers, and I just want to reaffirm this in you. I'm sure you all know this in your minds, but I just want to preach this to you today, that God hears our prayers, and he responds to our prayers. Our prayers are a delight to him. And so I'm hoping to be able to convey that theme as well. And of course, obviously, we're going to try to tie everything. How does this point to the gospel of Jesus Christ? How does this point to our Lord and Savior? How does this book of Daniel point to Jesus Christ? Every single verse. How does this point to our glorious Lord Jesus Christ? So with all that in mind, let's just look at the text. Um, And we'll just begin to work our way through it. We've already heard it read in our midst, but we'll just begin to work our way through it. We're going to look at verses 1 through 4. It says this, Now, in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. And listen, his spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. Take note of that. Then the king gave orders to call in the magicians, the conjurers, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. The king said to them, I had a dream. And again, note, my spirit is anxious to understand the dream. Verse 4, then the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell the dream to your servants and we will declare the interpretation. 
So we're going to get to dreams in a second. So just have patience. Hopefully this is going to be beneficial to all of us, but I think this would be kind of a cool thing to talk about just as an entry point into this book. But first I want to just talk about Nebuchadnezzar. I want to talk about Nebuchadnezzar. We've already, Joel has done a wonderful job painting the picture of the, the whole broader picture of what the book of Daniel, the context, what's happening. And I just want to just speak into this because this is an important biblical figure. Not only just in the book of Daniel, not only in the Old Testament, but just even in world history, Nebuchadnezzar is an enormous, enormous figure. But he also he's referred to many, many, many times in scriptures. And so I just want to speak about him for a second. He is the king of Babylon who had overtaken God's people, their land, and their temple. This is a king over a mighty empire, a mighty, mighty world empire. Even today in world history, this is seen as one of the biggest empires in world history. And this right here is the second iteration of the Babylonian empire. Often you'll hear it as the Neo-Babylonian empire. There had been a pre-existing Babylonian empire thousands of years before, but now this is the new and the skyrocketing rise of this new recurring Reestablishment of the Babylonian Empire. And this is, brothers and sisters, a mighty world empire, referred to in Scripture, even in the New Testament, as the epitome of what the nation looks like who, takes a, who, who impacts God's people, who enslaves God's people, who overtakes them, referenced many times in the book of Revelation. Even Peter writes about Babylon. And so... On the throne of this world empire is obviously King Nebuchadnezzar. And King Nebuchadnezzar is the second king of this new wave of the Babylonian empire. He's the second king and historically he is even seen as the greatest of all the kings that ever existed in the history of the Babylonian empire. Never one before him who had been as great, never one after who was as great. Under his reign, the Babylonian empire enjoyed immense victory enjoyed immense success, enjoyed immense expansion of territory and dominion, great wealth and great victory in all that they did and all under the king and the reign of King Nebuchadnezzar. He's a powerful guy. Nebuchadnezzar in his lifetime was the world's most powerful man. The world's most powerful man. And so we just get a little glimpse of this. Actually, I was, this is kind of cool um, in verse 2. Just a little glimmer of his power. Look with me at verse 2. It says, Then the king gave orders to call in the magicians and the conjurers and the sorcerers and the Chaldeans to tell him his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. And so right after the king had this dream, I'm imagining this is still middle of the night. He claps his hand, snaps his fingers, and just magicians fill his room, dream interpreters. Now, I don't know how many of you guys can beckon a group of dream interpreters at the drop of a hat in the middle of the night. But King Nebuchadnezzar, as they might say, had it like that. He could do these things because he's powerful, clap his hands, and his room is filled with people say, I want my dreams interpreted. And in a second, his room would be filled with people probably still in their pajamas. Maybe they freshened up a little bit, but they're ready saying, King, what do you want us to do? I'm ready to interpret your dreams. I know it's 2.30 in the morning, but I will interpret your dreams for you. This is a man with great, great, great power. And so just keep that in mind as we continue. I want to quickly highlight God's sovereignty. So I've just painted this picture of this historical man who was grand in power, the greatest king of kings that even describes him in the book of Daniel. All the nations of the world are nested in his branches. This is a guy who with great authority on the earth, earthly authority, but still nonetheless, 
God is sovereign. God is sovereign over this person who the people under his tyrannical rule might have thought there is nobody that can stay his hand. We are helpless. Underneath his authority, he can do as he pleases, and there is nobody in the world that has more power and authority over anything. His power reaches into all corners of the world, and I'm under this tyrannical ruler. But God is sovereign. And we as a people can remember that no matter who the rulers and authorities are, no matter how powerful they are, they are there's a God who is sovereign and over and in, in control, even over wicked rulers. You know that, church. Okay, so I just want to look at a scripture with you to highlight this. Um, and this is very interesting. So if you just go back a couple of books to the book of Jeremiah, we should have it on the screen. But Jeremiah chapter 25, we'll read verses 8 and 9. And listen to how God describes... King Nebuchadnezzar in response to his people's disobedience. It says, Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, because you have not obeyed my words. Behold, I will send and take all the families of the north, declares the Lord, and I will send to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, note this, my servant. God calls him my servant. And will bring them against this land and against its inhabitants and against all these nations round about. And I will utterly destroy them and make a horror and a hissing and an everlasting desolation. The grand power of Nebuchadnezzar is all under the sovereign control of God. He is his instrument in his hand. No matter how powerful Nebuchadnezzar thinks he is, he is still just an instrument in the hand of God. Nothing happening outside of the scope of God's sovereign control. And I really want to make note of that because we're going to see this more and more as we go work through this text, God's sovereign control. And I really hope that the Holy Spirit would just speak this to your hearts because we do live in a crazy time with circumstances, even just in our own lives, but let alone what's happening in the world. I want you to know and I want you to be assured that God sees you. He knows you and he is in sovereign control. And just like Daniel had faith in the sovereignty of God under Nebuchadnezzar, so we too can have faith in our God in the midst of our trials, in the midst of our circumstances, in the midst of our sufferings. Do you know that, church? Okay? So please just take note of that. So we're going to get back to Daniel. Um, but God has sovereign control. So let's turn our attention to dreams. Um, I'm going to pick this back up again. But verse 1. We're going to see dreams begin to unfold. We'll read this, and we'll read verse 3. It says, Now in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar again had dreams, and his spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. Then verse 3, the king said to them, the ones who rushed into his room, I had dreams, I had a dream, and my spirit is anxious to understand the dream. So, I'd like to just observe here a few things about dreams. First and foremost, the thing I want you to know is just that God gave Nebuchadnezzar these dreams. God gave Nebuchadnezzar these dreams, and again, to talk about the sovereignty of God. God had a word for the people of that time, the people of generations to follow, all the way up until even now, today we're reading, we're about to be reading in the weeks to come, this very dream that God gave King Nebuchadnezzar, a dream of distant things. Things that were in their time, very much future in our respect, a lot of it, I would say. Maybe we'll get into some eschatology as the book goes on. I think a lot of it is past. I think some might be even still in the future. But again, we are still reading this 
book with these dreams that are speaking to a king, a wicked king. God is giving him dreams. Now, just sometimes people might wonder, and maybe you've wondered this yourself, I definitely have. People have asked me this. Do every one of my dreams mean something? Does every one of my dreams mean something? I am the type of person that if somebody's having dreams that are troubling them, disturbing them, causing them to be anxious, I might just say, like, let me, tell me the dream. Maybe we'll see what God does, because I am interested in that. I'm open to that. But at the same time, sometimes we can get out of hand with this and say, every dream that I have must have some sort of divine meaning. I was in my pajamas and a slice of pizza was chasing me through my grandmother's neighborhood John, what does that dream mean? Can you interpret? That's, that's, that's just a dream. That's just a dream. There's no meaning to that. Zero whatsoever. Nothing. Don't try to bank anything on that. There are just plain old dreams that we have that mean absolutely nothing. But there are times in Scripture, and I'm convinced that God certainly has done this and to some extent may even still do this within the scope of Sola Scriptura, which we'll talk about in a second, but I'm convinced that God does reveal things in dreams. And the frequent pattern that we see, pattern that we see in Scripture, Old Testament particularly, but especially in the book of Daniel, we see this pattern when it comes to dreams. First we have God giving the dreamer the dreams. God sovereignly gives the dreamer the dreams. It is something that is from him. But it doesn't stop there. The dreamer is troubled in his spirit, is anxious in his spirit, is perplexed in his spirit, and he says, I have to understand what this means. This isn't something that I can just let go. But then it doesn't stop there. The third and final thing that we see in this pattern is that God also has somebody there to interpret. If God has a word for his people, he's not going to just let that word drift off into the cosmos and be a forgotten dream. He's going to have somebody there who can give the meaning and give the understanding of this. And so we see this exact same thing play out with Nebuchadnezzar's dream here in Daniel chapter 2. So if you just want to take a note, you'll see that in chapter 2 verse 29... It explicitly says God is the one who gave him the dream. If you want to take a note of that or just quickly look at it, I won't read it for you, but in chapter 2, verse 29, Daniel tells Nebuchadnezzar that God is the one who gave him this vision for the future. It wasn't just some dream that manifested in his heart and then happened to have this eschatological interpretation. It was God-given. God gave him the dream. We also see in verse 1 and in verse 3, again, it says Nebuchadnezzar had dreams and his spirit was troubled. And his sleep left him. Verse 3, his spirit was anxious to understand the dreams. And so this was something that brought about by the sovereignty of God to say, this is something that you need to look into. But then finally, we see in chapter 1, verse 17, and later in the book of Daniel, we're going to see that God had been preparing Daniel all along to interpret. And so remember this, just so we're not getting wonky here with like, all right, you know, John, we have dreams and I think we've got a prophetic vision. We're going to be careful with that because all of this is going to be under the, the context of sola scriptura. And especially as New Testament believers, we are not here to get crazy with all sorts of wild dreams and visions. Everything must be in accordance with scripture, nothing outside of the confines of the written word that we have. And so when somebody comes with a, a dream or a vision or a prophecy, I'm going to test everything through the word of God. Everything. Does it fall in accordance with it? No, we throw it out. And that's a big concept, church. Everything according to the word of God. Many churches become haywire because they say, I have a word or I have a dream or I have a vision and therefore it's of the Lord. Don't bother testing it in the scriptures because it's from the Lord. 
We have the written word of God at our disposal, not even at our disposal. We're at the disposal of this book. This book sits high and has authority over us. Everything, whether it be a dream or a vision or my spiritual gifts, every single thing is under accordance with the Holy Scriptures. Amen, church? So just lest we get any craziness, but nonetheless, I still do believe that we as a church need to venture into this because this is something laid out by Scripture, and so I don't want to neglect it altogether either, but it's under the strict confines of our Holy Scriptures. So I guess one other just quick observation. I don't know how much I'll be able to say about this, but I think it's just cool that God speaks in dreams. Right, church? I mean, of all the things, all the ways that God could speak and has spoken, written his writings on tablets of stone, the Ten Commandments, speaking through prophets, all of these things, he speaks in dreams too. And I think that's kind of cool because as human beings, God meets us in something that is very real in our lives, our dreams. Our dreams are a very important part of who we are. I, like, I love having vivid dreams. I love telling people my dreams. It's, it's kind of a cool way that God meets us, I believe, as human beings to say, I'm, I'm going to speak to you in ways that you understand. Dreams are a big part of our existence. Just a cool observation that dreams are a cool way that God speaks to us, um, at least has spoken in, in the times of scriptures. But this is a big theme. Now, you might ask this, and just again to highlight Sola Scripture, you might say, I want to have dreams. I want to have dreams like Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar. I want to have dreams and interpretations, and I want to say amen. I do too. I want those things. I believe. Uh, I, that's a great joy of mine. That I, God, let me, let me have something like this. This would be amazing. But I do want to say this, though, is that Daniel, who experienced more dreams and more interpretations of dreams on this grand scale, I honestly believe, and I'm going to show you in Scripture, that Daniel would look at you and me and he would say, I'm actually jealous with a godly jealousy for what you have been given. More so than you looking back at me and saying, you, oh, Daniel had it awesome. God was like coming to him in dreams and all of these things and giving him interpretations. Daniel would say, no, you have it so much better Christian in the year 2022 than I did. And I want to show you a couple of Scriptures, but just first we'll look with me at Hebrews chapter 1. In the first couple of verses, one and two. And then I want to take you to a place in Luke where Jesus says something that really brings this home. And I just want us to be able to, be, to stand in awe of what we have been given, the revelation that we have been given, so that we don't get jealous or wishing that we had what the Old Testament prophets had. So it says this in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he made the world. And it doesn't, it's not going to be on the screen, but verse 3. And he is the radiance of his glory, the exact representation of his nature, and upholds all things by the word of his power. This Jesus Christ is the one who God has spoken to and spoken through. We have the fulfillment of the prophetic word to us that has been spoken to us through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so please never, ever, ever be like, man, I wish I had something that they had back. Because Jesus is the fulfillment of all of the mysteries, all of the revelations of God. We have all of the fullness of God in Jesus Christ. To go backwards would be an affront to what God has given us. And so he has given us this wonderful treasure in all of the blessings that come in the New Testament. Just look with me at Luke chapter uh, 10, I think. I could be wrong. I'm going to cheat and look. It's not even up there. I can't cheat. Luke chapter 10. Um, 
Yes, verse 23 and 24. I love this. I truly love these verses, and I just hope that you will as well. Turning to his disciples, he said to them privately, Blessed are the eyes which see the things you see. For I say to you that many prophets and kings wished to see the things that you see and did not see them, and to hear the things which you hear and did not hear them. Kings, prophets, we are in the book of Daniel with kings and prophets. They wished that they saw what we saw. What we see behind us in our rear view, they were just like, oh, I wish, I, I, I know everything points to that. Everything is going toward that. We are saying, we, we've, we have it. It's all been given to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything that they wanted, everything that they look forward to, we have in the fullness because of what Jesus Christ has brought. And so again, I don't want to neglect or negate or undermine the book of Daniel. I just want to clarify in case there is in any of us a heart that says, man, I just, it was so cool back then. I'm part of me. I'm like, I'm with you. Like, I, I want those things. And I'm open to those things. But I just want to say what we have been given is so much better. So much better. So much richer. And so go back with me with the book of Daniel. So we have Nebuchadnezzar, alarmed in his sleep with these dreams, calls in his conjurers, his magicians, and they come running in. And just look with me at verses 3 through 6. It says, And the king said, I had a dream, and my spirit is anxious to understand the dream. And the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell the dream to your servants, and we will declare the interpretation. The king replied to the Chaldeans, The command from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you will be torn limb from limb, and your houses will be made a rubbish heap. But if you declare the dream and its interpretation, you will receive from me gifts and a reward and a great honor. Therefore, declare to me the dream and its interpretation. So notice just Nebuchadnezzar's power. We've already talked about his power a little bit here, but I don't know how many of you have lived under a king who has the ability to just say, you dead. What are you going to do about it? You dead. Can't touch me. I'm going to kill all of you. Dead. Doesn't matter. You can't touch me. This is King Nebuchadnezzar, a wicked monarch, a wicked ruler that they are under this authority of. And they say, if you just tell us what the dream is, we'll be able to interpret it. You want to know what the interpretation is? Just tell us what the dream is. Tell us, and we'll give you the interpretation. Now, I want to make a quick note here. You might ask, how could they interpret? They're not believers. They're actually conjurers and magicians. How are they able to interpret dreams? And so I just want to speak just a quick thing that I believe in the demonic realm, and I believe it's very real, and I think, believe it should be avoided at all costs by believers, by Christians. We have no parts with the demonic realm. I believe it's very true, very real, very tangible, as real as you and I are standing here, sitting here, that there is a wicked realm that we are told to stay away from, that there is many things that people have gone to for experiences, to seances and tarot cards and all of these things. And I know there's probably some scammers out there, some false ones just trying to get your money, but I believe that there are some real ones that really introduce people to wicked spirits that we don't want any part of and to flee from. 
Not flee because we're scared, but because we flee to the one who is the king of the supernatural realm. I believe that God, what he says is, don't mess around with the weak spiritual realm stuff. This is garbage. If you want the spiritual realm, come to me. God says, I am the king of the spiritual realm. If you're looking for that, come to me. Don't, don't, don't fiddle with these, these uh, weak, wicked, evil spirits here. And so, where do we go? We go to God Almighty. But these conjurers have this tangible ability, I believe, to really do wicked things. Just like Pharaoh's servants mimic some of the miracles of Moses and Aaron. Casting, you know, they were able to duplicate some of that. I believe that there is realness to that, but we got to avoid it. Because there's demons. You do not want to partake in these false spirits. And they're still rampant today. People even get in little horoscope stuff. Stay away from that stuff, Christian. We have God Almighty. We have his word. Do not partake. And I urge you. So, false prophets, false spirits, very real. But God is the king of the supernatural realm. But God here, I believe, and listen, is sovereignly moving the heart of this king to make a command that is so impossible that even the wicked spirits were shown to be powerless. And I'll say that again. He was making, he, he, we have this wicked king, Nebuchadnezzar, but God is using even that sovereignly in control to make him bring a command that is so impossible that even the false spirits can't do it. The only one left that'll be able to do it is God himself. All of the false visioners and diviners and magicians, they aren't going to be able to do this because God in his sovereignty through a wicked man has allowed him to give a command that's so impossible that even the false magicians or the magicians can't do it. So just look with me at verse 5. And again, just to put this into your mind, to think of how horrific this is. The king, the king said, The command for me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you're going to be torn limb from limb, and your houses will be made a rubbish heap. That's a dangerous threat. You're, you're going to be killed, but also my family lives in that house that's going to be a rubbish heap. But this king, on a whim says, execute them all if you cannot give me the interpretation. Now, I want to pause here because there's so much wickedness that happens to us on so many levels. And a lot of us, and maybe even in this culture, we have experienced some tyrannical repercussions in our lives. Certainly not to this extent. Lord knows what we'll be able to say in five, ten years from now. I don't know, and I'm not making any prophetic statement, but we're watchful, the way things are moving, but we've already experienced some residual shakedown from governments and rulers, but not even to mention all the stuff that we just deal with in our lives. And so I just want to say this. I want to say that every single bit of evil and pain and suffering that is encamped around your life is under the sovereign hand of God who loves you and has named you as his child. Every single bit of it. All of, again, the evil, the pain, the suffering that has encamped around your life is under the sovereign hand of God who loves you and calls you his child. God loves you. He calls you his child. He's sovereign over all of it. We experience so much turmoil, so much tumult, so much stress and strain and pain and All of these things, even coming from places of high authority, but God is sovereign over it all, and he loves you, and he called you his child. And God is able to take all of this and use it for his glory, but also for for your good. And um, I'm not going to go to Romans 8.28. That's where 
But I'm going to go to another one that's a potentially cliche passage when you come to this discussion. But please don't ever see the word as something that is, becomes dull to our ears because we've heard it so much. I want, you to show, I want to show you the end of Genesis. Chapter 50. Verses 19 and 20. But Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for, I, for am I in God's place? As for you, you meant it for evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. I really hope that you can say that, not just on a postcard, not just on a little, uh, you know, Hallmark card, God, what God, people meant for evil, I meant for good, and uh, send it along its way is like a cool little verse that you can send to somebody. Like, can you say this? What people meant for evil, God meant it for good. Every single bit of it, every single bit of it, God meant it for good. Can you honestly say that? I don't know if I always honestly can. Sometimes I can't. Sometimes I'm not seeing it, but I want, I want us to be a people of faith to really and truly be able to say this. Whatever it was, whatever it was meant for evil for me, God meant it for good, and God is using it because he is sovereign over all things. All things. He's using it for good. And I will quote it. Romans 8, 20, For God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him and to those who are called according to his purposes. All things work together for good. Because God is sovereign, not because of anything in us. And so, I believe again God is showing us that there is none that compare with him. All the false prophets aside, all the conjurers, magicians, they fall by the wayside because of this impossible command from a wicked king. Now look with me at verses 7 down to 13. It says, They answered a second time and said, Let the king tell the dream. And his servants... And we will declare the interpretation. The king replied, I know for certain that you are bargaining for time inasmuch as you have seen that the command for me is firm. That if you do not make the dream known to me, there is only one decree for you. For you have agreed together to speak lying and corrupt words before me until the situation, until the situation is changed. Therefore, tell me the dream that I may know that you may declare to me its interpretation. Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who can declare the matter before the king, inasmuch as no great king or ruler has ever asked anything like this of any magician, conjurer, or Chaldean. Moreover, the thing which the, command demand, the king demands is difficult, and there is no one else who could declare to the king except God's whose dwelling place is not with mortal flesh. Because of the, this, the king became indignant and very furious and gave orders to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree went forth that the wise men should be slain and that they should, uh, and they looked for Daniel and his friends to kill them. His conjurers are just like, we can do it. Just tell us the dream. Just tell us the dream. Bargaining for time, doing anything they can to try to stay this wicked king. But God is sovereignly eliminating them, removing them out of the picture so that only him in his glory would stand. But Nebuchadnezzar will not budge. No matter how much they plead with him, no matter how much they plead with him, he would not budge. Now, this might sound redundant, but I'm going to give you another verse on the sovereignty of God. And if you're like, John, stop. No. <laughs> Proverbs 21, verse 1. And this is where I titled the sermon after, so I'm definitely not going to miss this verse. Proverbs 21.1, and I believe this is, could be the, the title verse for this whole book of Daniel. 
The king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. Wherever he wishes. God is not causing the evil in the king, but he is managing it and not even managing, sovereignly directing it every single bit of the way. Every single bit of the way. The king's heart is like rivers in the channels of the hands of the Lord. So, and I believe this is precisely what God is doing with Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar's heart, even his sinful heart is being channeled by God's hands to accomplish its purposes. And again, to speak this over you, would you remember this in these tumultuous times? God is sovereign. God is in control. Please remember that, Christian. Please remember that, Christian. If God is not in control, what else are we standing on? God is in control always, even over the wicked kings and rulers and authorities. So look with me now, verses 14 through 16. So then Daniel replied, with discretion and discernment, take note of that, please, to Arioch, the captain of the king's bodyguard who had gone forth to slay the wise men of Babylon. He said to Arioch, the king's commander, for what reason is the decree from the king so urgent? Then Arioch informed Daniel about the matter. So Daniel went in and requested of the king that he would give him time in order that he might declare the interpretation to the king. So I want you to take notice just in verse 14, Daniel's discretion and discernment. Discretion and discernment. The New King James has counsel and wisdom. The ESV has prudence and discretion. Daniel has prudence and discretion, wisdom and discretion, counsel and wisdom. And I want to speak on this, and I might need wisdom and discretion um, in doing this, because I think there are two really huge, enormous errors that a lot of Christians can engage in. On one end, we could say this, this ditch over here, we have sometimes, we're just so passive, We say, uh, the government said I'm going to do it, uh, whatever, and I'm just going to get swept along with the nonsense and the lies, and I'm just, whatever, you know, uh, it's all good. I'm just going to float down the road passively, and I believe that we're not called to that, but also on this side of the ditch here, sometimes a Christian's heart can be so stubborn and rebellious and hateful toward their government and their leaders, and they will not reply with wisdom and discretion. They'll say, Let's go, Brandon. Sleepy Joe. Orange man. You know the expressions. Those things are never in my mouth. And I don't want to rebuke too hard, but I just, I want people to say, I am not a passive member of the kingdoms of the world to just float down the river, but I, and I'm going to stand, and I'm going to stand on the word of God, and I'm going to speak the word of God, and I am going to pronounce the word of God, but I am also called to speak with wisdom and discretion. Wisdom and discretion. And when Daniel rolls into King Nebuchadnezzar's court, he doesn't say, screw you, king. You're going to threaten all these people. You're wicked. God's just going to cut you down. I hate you. Let's go. What rhymes with Nebuchadnezzar? He enters into his courts with wisdom and discretion. And he says, I need some time, king. 
Certainly what you're doing is wicked. And I'm not taking part in it. You're wicked. What you're doing is wicked. I'm going to say that. But at the same time, I'm not going to just go in belligerent against you. I'm going to enter in and say, give me time. I'm going to give you the interpretation. I'm going to give you the interpretation. Just give me time. Wisdom and discretion. We're going to see this through the book of Daniel unfolding. This is a big theme. Darius, lion's den. Daniel comes out. O king, live forever. You're the one that threw me in here because I wouldn't pray to you. I prayed to God. And you said, kill him. Well, you put the decree out. Anybody who doesn't pray to me, imagine a Christian in that environment. Still to say, O king, live forever. What you did was wicked, but O king, live forever. Wisdom and discretion. As we stand on the word of God, not wavering one bit, but at the same time having wisdom and discretion of how to be in exile, having discernment while in exile. God's sovereignty, God's sovereignty uses Daniel's discretion to obtain favor from the king. I want you to just note this, and this is in verse 16. It says, So Daniel went in and requested of the king that he would give him time in order that he might declare the interpretation from him, or from the uh, interpretation to the king. The king gives him time to the conjurers and magicians and these types of things. Earlier, Nebuchadnezzar said, I see you're trying to bargain for time. I'm not giving you extra time. You all are dead. Something about how Nebuchadnezzar approached him, his wisdom and discretion, God sovereignly allowed him to obtain favor from the king. He obtained favor from the king, his wisdom and discretion. I also want you to notice in verse 16, his faith in advance that God was going to give him the interpretation. Verse 16, he said, I want to just give me more time. Give me time in order that, the, that he might declare the interpretation to the king. He didn't say maybe. He says, I'm going to need some time, but I am going to come back and I am going to give you your dream and its interpretation. I want you and I want us to be a people who have faith like this. When we pray to God, we have faith that God not only hears our prayers, but we also have the requests that we have asked of him. If I need wisdom, I'm called to pray for wisdom, not with doubting. Let's actually look at that. James chapter 1. Verses 3. Oh, I'm sorry, verses 5 through 8. But if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. I want us to be a people that pray with faith. I want us to be a people that pray with faith. And if I could say, we've been talking political kind of stuff. It's been kind of working its way into the side. Like, let's just setting that aside for a second. Where are we people of faith? Do we know that God hears our prayers? That when I pray, I go into my room and I pray, or I pray while I'm driving, whatever I'm praying. God is hearing me. And then I am anticipating and expecting God to truly respond. God, you hear my prayers. I'm your child. I am expectant of you. If, if you say no, I'm, I'm still giving you glory. But God, I am expecting. I am having faith that my prayers are going to be granted. Because you're a God who can do all things. You have no limits. No restrictions. 
Can we say amen to that? Amen. Um, all right, just 17 and 18. It says, Then Daniel went to his house and informed his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, about the matter, so that they might request compassion from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his friends would not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Daniel here, he calls a prayer meeting. He just has exited the king's courts. He says, I'm going to give you that interpretation. My God is going to give me that. He hasn't yet. Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, we need to pray. I'm going to tell you what's going on, and we're going to pray. We're going to pray together and seek the Lord. And it says, seek mercies um, in the New King James Version. NIV says, plead for mercies. The NASB here says, request compassion. God, we are pleading with you. Hear our prayer request. This is a fervent prayer. God, would you please help us? We need you here. All of these people are going to get wiped out. I need you, God. Please, would you, would you meet us in this time? We're requesting compassions for you, from you. And so I hope that we can pray like this. I was preparing this message, and then I was, afterward, I was observing my prayer life, and I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach that we got to pray with power and conviction and fervency. And then... Two hours later in my prayer life, I was like, I'm not even doing that. Like, how am I going to be able to preach that? And so I was like, all right, John, you got to really be praying like this if you're going to be preaching this. And so I was like, all right, I'm, I got to go back to praying because I want to pray with that fervency. Seeking compassions from God. Seeking compassions. Pleading with him for mercy. God, would you help us? Let's gather and pray. In this time and in this climate that we live in, there is so much prayer that needs to happen. If we spend half as much time ridicule, or praying for our rulers as we do ridiculing them, pray, God, would you move? Please, would you be in this? Help the gospel go forth despite all of the stuff that's going on. Matthew 18, <clears throat> Jesus tells a parable and he says that so that they could pray all times and not lose heart. And he tells about this woman, a, w a widow, who goes to an unjust judge who doesn't care about God, doesn't care about men, but because she incessantly goes before him, he's like, all right, I'm just going to give this woman what she wants. I don't care about her. I don't care about God, but I'm going to do it because she is annoying me. And then Jesus says, how much more will God quickly answer those who are his children who cry out to him day and night for mercy? Would we be people who pray? James chapter 5, the fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. We're all righteous, not on our own account. We've been made righteous by the Lord Jesus Christ, but the fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Would you pray fervently? I just want to see myself grow in my fervency in prayer. I want to see myself grow. I want that fire to continue to burn and blaze brighter and brighter and stronger and stronger in my life. And I hope that for you, that all of us, we be a people of fervent prayer with an ever-growing fire in our prayer. And so finally, I'm going to wrap up with this. Um, how does this all point to Jesus? And we're going to go back to verse 11. <clears throat> and I didn't miss it, but I wanted to save it for the end to see how this really all connects with Jesus. Verse 11 is just a wonderful point for us to get to the gospel. Um, moreover, the thing which the king demands, these are the conjurers and the magicians. What the king demands is difficult, and there is no one else who can declare it to the king except God's whose dwelling place is not among mortal flesh. I think they're speaking into something that's true. Even though these men are wicked, 
They're saying that gods don't dwell among us. And they're, they're, they have a whole skewed view of gods and all of these things. But they're right in the sense that up to that point, gods do not intermingle. But we have a Lord Jesus Christ who has taken on human flesh. And not just passively, not just for a couple years, kind of walking among us, looking like a human, but not really. He, he was born. He was conceived in the womb. He was born. He took on human flesh and was walking in this life, breathing the same air that we're breathing, walking on the same ground that we walk on, having the same troubles and trials that we face. This Jesus Christ knows what it's like to be human. He took on human flesh for us and was sinless, was sinless. And he revealed all of the mysteries of God. All of the mysteries of God for his people, we have access to them in Jesus Christ. He took on flesh and he was a righteous king. Unlike a world that is filled with wicked kings, always has been, always will be till the return of Christ, Jesus Christ is a righteous king. We, we put a lot of stock in our political rulers and our leaders, but Jesus Christ is the one righteous king perfect, righteous, the one that we can look to always, always. He is our righteous king. We have a book where we observe often Daniel's obedience while in exile, his discernment while in exile. Jesus Christ, as Joel had preached, Jesus was the greatest exile of all time. He left heaven, dwelt on this earth, left his throne took on human flesh, walked in exile, but he did it perfectly. You and I don't do that. Even the greatest among us don't do that, but Jesus Christ was the perfect, walked in exile perfectly, sinlessly, without fault, without spot, without blemish, Jesus Christ perfectly walked in exile, and he gave up that perfect life on the cross for us. Our sins placed upon him My sin, my shame, my ugliness, my guilt, my wretchedness, all placed upon him. He gave up his sinless life so that I could be righteous, so that you could be righteous, so that the citizens of his kingdom that is here in this world right now, amidst all of the dark kingdoms, his citizens who he has brought into his kingdom with a new king, a new leader, new authority, no longer enslaved to Satan, but him, our king, died for us so that we might have the very righteousness that belongs to him. We have the mercies of God. We have the grace of God. We rejoice in the gifts of God. He has given them to us. And I pray that we would preach this to our soul. I woke up this morning just like sad. I don't know what it was, but I, I had to remind myself, I'm a child of God. God loves me this morning. Why am I sad? Why are you downcast, oh my soul? What's wrong with you? Get up. We're good. God is good. He has set his seal upon John Andrade. I don't deserve it, but praise the Lord. I can wake up when my soul is sad and say, I don't have anything to be sad about. My Lord loves me. My King loves me. My Savior loves me. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I can get out of bed and rejoice. Even amidst the trials. And lastly, just to end with this. Um, I don't know if I've gone long or not. But um, we're in a book where prayer. Talking about prayer. Daniel's a man of God. He prays. But Jesus prays. Do you know this? He prays for us. He prays for you. And Joel had put it this way. I remember a while back, one of the things that has always stuck with me is like Jesus is in the next room praying for you. If somebody is like, I'm praying for you right now while you go to that job interview, I'm praying for you while you go out sharing the gospel with this person, that person. 
And that's your friend, and that's like, praise God, my friend's praying for me. This is Jesus is praying for you. Jesus is praying for you. I want you to just look with me at Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 25, and I promise we're going to close with this. Um, Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 25. One of the most wonderful verses and truths that after Jesus Christ has purchased salvation, laid his life down for us, shed his blood on our account so that we might be made righteous in his sight, rose from the dead, does all of these things, he says, now I'm going to pray for you. Therefore, he is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. He always lives to make intercession for us. Always lives to make intercession for us that Jesus is praying for me right now. Hallelujah, right? Hallelujah. He's praying for us. He always lives to make intercession for us. He's pleading with God for us, interceding on our behalf, beseeching God for the mercies of God on John Andrade's life. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. This is our great and glorious Lord. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord, church. Let me pray. Um, and we'll go into communion in a minute. Heavenly Father, God, we just worship you now. Oh, Lord God, I thank you for your word. And I just, um, I ask that you would do what no man can do, no preacher can do, but that you would apply your word to our hearts. It is not in the skills of man to be able to to impart to a human heart what only you can give God that you exist that you are real that you've set your affections upon us that because of Jesus Christ we who are sinful wicked who have done wretchedness O Lord do not deserve anything but your wrath you have saved us and you have made us righteous that you've set a crown upon our heads, that you've seated us in the heavenly places. Oh, Lord, you've washed us clean. We rejoice in this, Lord. I thank you so much. And I pray that any soul here who is burdened or troubled would remember the gospel. And I pray that any soul in this place, even who is an unbeliever in this time, oh God, would cry out to you. Oh, Lord, that you would hear the cry from a heart calling for salvation crying out to you, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one who is seated on high on the throne. God, we praise you, we worship you, we love you. Thank you for your mercy for us, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. For more messages from New City Church, or to find our gathering times and location, check out our website at bathnewcity.church. We hope to have you join us next week.